It's uh, Friday, the 31st day of May, end of May, 2019. I say this, I think, every single uh, show, every single episode. The year is just flying by. I'm telling you, I just it's flying by quicker than you can, well, whatever, I shouldn't say that. Hey, this will be uh, part two of our uh, two-part series on the uh, television show Billions. And I really enjoy that show. I got to tell you, there, it's... I don't watch a lot of television. I'd be real blunt with you. I just don't watch a lot of television. I do like, and I've watched Breaking Bad. In fact, not only did I watch the show as it came across, uh, but I also watched it in, did a, a, what we call binge watching. I watched the whole thing all the way through. And I'm actually doing it again. And I do that because I enjoy it. And when I say binge watching, what I'm not doing is I'm not really... Uh, just glued to the television. Usually I'm reading, I'm writing, I'm doing other things, and it's just kind of in the background. But by doing that, you kind of pick things up periodically. You go, wow, that was really cool. They really thought, thought through things. And it goes to show me that you know these writers and producers, you know, the ones that are really good, that really pay attention to detail, they, they nail it. You got to respect these guys. Better Call Saul is another one. I've gone through the whole thing and watched it. Same thing with Silicon Valley. I really enjoy that show. It makes me laugh. And um, these are shows that there are these little snowflakes. They're just little things are dropped in that you just like, oh, they're just gems. And in the television show Billions, that's the same thing. Alan Sorkin does, does an amazing job with this this show. And so, you know, it's it's for those of you who are not in the business, yeah, I get it. You know, it's the opulent, cutthroat world of hedge funds. And you really don't know what's going on. It's, you know, it's the sexual tension. It's the good guy, bad guy. It's the cat and mouse. It's a little bit of... Um, Twisted white collar criminals and prosecutors catching the, you know, crossing the line to catch a criminal and all that. I get it. But what really goes on, and the show was geared towards, I think, uh, and it stars Damian Lewis, who was in Homeland. So he's nailed two shows, you know, back to back, pretty big. He's the hedge fund king of this thing, Bobby Axelrod. And uh, so Bobby's the uh, main protagonist in the show, and he's the founder of Axe Capital. Um, just so you know, we actually own Axe Fees, AXEFees.com. And it's a, a play on Axe Capital in the sense that, well, you don't need to pay the high commissions that you pay a hedge fund to get the kind of quality that, you know, anyways, you get the whole nine yards. So it's this endless pursuit, this tit for tat. Uh, trying to tilt the capital markets in his favor. And that's what the show is all about. Of course, there's lots of side things going on, the relentless pursuit by Chuck Rhodes, and now he's working with Bobby. And, you know, you got the weird relationship with Dr. Wendy Rhodes, who's played by Maggie Schiff, and the in-house psychologist, and it makes things really complicated. So, We've got all these different seasons, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm dead serious about this. This is just a really cool show because what it does is it brings up so many components of the investment world that if you're in it, um, we see it. And there's things that we've missed and had to go back and go, oh my gosh, look at that. They actually did this. So what I'm going to do is kind of give you a little bit of the background, some terminology. Now, I'm only going to do a part of it. I've already decided we'll do a part three on this thing. Part three will not be right away. I'm going to hold off and do that a little bit later on, tease you with that. 
But uh, because we're going to be talking about uh, some financial things, I really don't need to do this as an investment advisor, but I'm going to do it anyways. Go get a cup of coffee. Come right back. Here's a 30-second disclaimer. If you're using Overcast, you can fast forward through this if you want. And uh, I don't know if iTunes does this. I don't pay attention to iTunes, but 30 seconds and we'll be right back. Connecting dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. Yeah, and let me make it really clear. If we mention a company in any way, shape, or form, absolutely unequivocally beyond exclusion of every reasonable doubt, you can expect that we have a position in the company, period. So because of that, always consider it a conflict of interest. You know, years ago, I uh, used to get a kick out of when the market watch and um, you had CNBC and Kramer and they would come up with these disclaimers and and they would have little check boxes as to whether the person did or didn't own the, the securities. And I always said to myself, why do they do this? Just simply say, hey, you know, if we discuss it, assume it as a conflict of interest, period, end of story, because things are always changing. And so if they do a rerun or you, you know, you record it, I've always, always viewed, hey, well, I had this on TiVo. I did a DVR recording on this thing. And so when I watched it, you may have had a position and some idiot attorney would try to sue. There's a lot of people out there who um, have really screwed the pooch in this country trying to extrapolate money from people who are just trying to do a good job. And we've got courts oftentimes that are just full of idiots who, you know, they may have uh, their Ivy League degrees and you may have, uh, you know, you may be the valedictorian, but, uh, you know, it's like piled higher and deeper. You got no damn common sense. It's <laughs> just my opinion. That's <laughs> take it or leave it. Not a big deal, but, um, you know, it kind of is what it is. Oh. So Billions has exposed viewers to the genius, it really is, of what people do on Wall Street. And there's a lot of dirty tricks that goes on. Don't, don't make any bones about it. A lot of these people, oh, I would never do anything like that. Yeah, look, you got a lot of financial regulators who are constantly chasing these idiots doing insider trading. If you want to see... What goes on, go to the Department of Justice, Federal Department of Justice, doj.gov. You can go to uh, the Financial Industry Regulatory Association, but I would go to the sec.gov. And you can see the different enforcement actions. A lot of people continue to do these Ponzi schemes. We've talked a lot about Ponzi schemes on Connecting Dots. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But you have all of these you know, intricate portfolio trading strategies and insiders. You know, It's just a lot of inside information. Regulators, they go after this stuff, corporate actions. So it's always this relentless pursuit of, um, you know, by some U.S. attorneys of these hedge fund titans who, well, they kind of bend the law for themselves in order to get an edge in the case. Now, here's the thing. When I talk about big bets on big ideas, when I talk about doing research, when I talk about the fact that, you know, a tremendous number of private investigators work on wall for Wall Street firms, tracking, following, doing things like that. I'm not talking about your meat and potato investigators who are doing, uh, you know, uh, following uh, Johnny to see if Johnny is uh, doing uh, Susie because Johnny's married to Amy and they're trying to get. No, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. What I'm talking about is, you know, real legitimate 
following people to see who's meeting with who, what's going on, trying to hear things, getting good information. So there's a big difference between doing a massive amount of information and research versus uh, insider information. Now, here's a key thing. You know, always go back to that movie Wall Street and Charlie Sheen. He's got the uh, he's getting insider information and they're, they're just twisting and churning and all that kind of stuff. He broke the law when he revealed information about uh, his father's company. He knew things he shouldn't shouldn't have done. OK, so that's all there is to it. If you know the information, you can't trade on it, okay? So insider information is not illegal. Just remember that. We all know things that other people don't know. It's trading on things when you're supposed to be a fiduciary. So, for example, if you're an attorney doing securities work for a company, getting ready to go public, and then you tell family members, hey, you ought to buy this company because they're getting ready to be merged with somebody, blah, 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 and it'll be a nice big sweetener for it. That's illegal, okay? That's trading on insider information. Having insider information is not illegal. And I get a lot of times people say these kind of things like, oh man, he broke the law. No, he didn't break the law, didn't make any money on it. But if you did, okay, so that's it. So the show is just overloaded, laden, if you want, with financial terminology. Let's kind of go through a couple of those right now. So one of the things they talk about is activist investor, activist, A-C-T-I-V-I-S-T, activist investor. What the hell is an activist investor? Well, an activist investor is a person that purchases a large quantity of a company stock. So just purchasing the stock, that's not a big deal. What you're doing it, though, is you're trying to influence the company. You're trying to get seats on the board of directors. You want to move and change what the company is doing. Primarily, you want to get rid of management or put pressure on management to make substantial changes in operational strategies. And the goal is always to drive the share price up. So let's say you've got a position with company X and company Y, and company X should be doing business, but you've got a personality conflict between these two uh, CEOs. They're both a bunch of damn children. So I own a lot of stock in company X. Now, what if I go out and start taking a position with company Y? Now, if I do it and I, you see me, there's rules and regulations. And for those of you who are in this industry, we're not going to get into the super, the minutia and the details. Not going to do that. So there are certain filings you have to file with the SEC when you go over a certain percentage of ownership. Just keep it like that. But to avoid that, what do I do? Well, I get my buddy who has a pension fund. I get this guy over here who's got another hedge fund. I get my buddy over here who's got a couple of mutual funds. And pretty soon we're putting together a syndicate. Hey, there you go, a syndicate. We're putting together a syndicate as opposed to a syndicate for an IPO. We're putting together a group of people. And we got a, you know, a wink and a nod agreement. And one thing leads to another before management knows it. I've got a big position. And now I go to the CEO and say, hey, I've got these board of directors. I've, uh, things are squared around. You're either out of here or you're going to do this deal with my guy over here. Now, dude in company Y, you know, he wants to keep his job. I basically say, look, uh, if you do this deal, you got some stock options, you're going to make a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. If it's uh, green, uh, it's going to get everybody's attention. It's like journalism. If it's blood, it's, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, that kind of a thing. So we force this guy to do what he doesn't want to do, and everybody makes money. So we're looking for a significant increase in price. Now, here's another word that's kind of part of this. The word is called alpha. 
ALPHA. Now, alpha refers to the excess return that a hedge fund earns, and it could be a mutual fund, it could be an ETF, it could be anything. The excess return that a hedge fund, we're talking about hedge funds and Bobby Axelrod and Axe Capital, right? The TV show Billions, relative to the performance of a benchmark. Now, benchmarks are usually considered risk-free investments. So, one of the things most people benchmark against, however, is the Standard & Poor's 500. Now, we've talked about this on several occasions. If you're new to Connecting Dots, you will have heard us, you may not have heard us say, but we say this all, all the time, benchmarking to the S&P 500 is stupid, completely stupid, and yet 99% of the people do it. It's a moving index. What do you care about that? That is completely stupid. What you want to benchmark is to a risk-free investment or something that has a steady eddy. So people tend to do, for example, like treasuries or inflation. Look, the way we do it is real simple. We take alpha plus five and did it outperform the S&P 500. And here's how we kind of do this thing. It's a real simple thing. You take the five-year constant maturity treasury bill rate. Let me repeat that. Five-year constant maturity treasury bill rate. Go ahead and look it up. I would suggest taking it on January 1st, the first trading day of the year. You'll know what that is. And then what you do is you have six, if you have, which we do when we have our, our highway accounts, we have our roadway, highway, and we have our expressway and our highway accounts, the ones that we fully, fully delegated manage. What we do is we have six styles, income, income and growth, balance, growth and income, growth and aggressive growth. And what we do is we take that five-year treasury and we add 1%. So using round numbers, let's say our five-year treasury constant maturity rate is 3%. And our aggressive growth is going to be that plus six. So we need to hit 9% to equal our benchmark. And if we're above that, then we're, we have alpha. In other words, excess return above a relative performance, in this case, a fixed rate. So with these guys, you will have heard different times I'm saying, hey, if I want to do this, I'll just simply go out and I'll just buy the... Uh, a stupid mutual fund or I'll buy some uh, index funds. And, and that's not management. That's just throwing in the towel and saying you're too stupid to know what to do. Th those comments have come up on several occasions in billions. And when that happens, I just love it. I always sit back and hoot and go, you damn right. Now, negative alpha, okay, negative signifies underperformance, okay? So what happens is, you know, you have X and you have Taylor, and what happens is you start getting these things where you start bidding up stocks or to generate more momentum on them. Then when you sell, you want to get the positive. That's manipulation. Stock brokerage manipulation occurs all the time out there. And it's not just the pump and dump years ago when uh, the internet first came out and you had chat rooms. Oh my God, was that unbelievable. The number of people back in the days, back in, let's see, the late 1980s, when Clinton was president of the United States, um, I'm sorry, in the late 1990s, when Clinton was president of the United States, what happened is uh, you had these chat rooms that came up. You had AOL and everything else. For those of you who remember that AOL used to send out all the, the, the disks to, to download AOL. Okay. A lot of you today don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, you've got your cell phone, you get your smartphone. It's always been that way. I got news for you. There used to be dial-up. If you want to hear what it used to sound like, go to that movie, um, You've Got Mail, with um, oh, Meg Ryan and uh, Tom Hanks. And you hear the noise, uh, beep, 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 beep. And that was the connection, the modem connecting and all that. 
it's amazing just the things that I know and that we talk about. Sometimes we date ourselves, but if you don't know your history, you're never gonna you're gonna kind of constantly repeat it. So the bottom line is, you you had a situation where you had these chat rooms, and years ago people would, you know, people were always gravitating towards penny stocks and these 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 BS things, and people would get on and oh yeah we're doing this and blah blah blah, and they would buy and sell and try to again it's called a pump and dump. That stuff goes on today. Journalists are manipulated constantly. Oh, I'm a journalist. I can't be bought and sold. Oh, horse manure. Follow the money. You know, they had these things called advertorials. Really? The guy who writes a story about something going on in the stock market, and yet, at the very same time, this guy's going to be also the author for another article, which is really an advertorial, and you can barely tell the difference, especially if you got someone who's a ding-dong. They think it's the real thing. Oh, well, this, this company must be really great. Oh, they're, they're just doing fantastic. No, this is just another one of those manipulation things. So the bottom line is there's a lot of manipulation going back and forth when it comes to alphas, betas, negatives. Okay, your negative alphas, underperformance, trying to get things to go up momentum. If you can get momentum, how do you get momentum? Remember, it's always the same thing. It's always about supply and demand. When you can increase demand and you've got supply cut back, you're going to have a you're going to have a real a real grow. So again, when you see this television show or whatever you want to call it now, it's not television. When you see billions, remember a lot of this has to do with how do we get momentum up in order to then dump and make a profit. That's a big deal. Let's move on to the next item called bedrocks. Now, bedrocks are simply stocks that are positioned to increase in value in the long term. Okay, these are stocks that are characterized by large market capitalization. They tend to be very big companies and they got good solid cash flow. These are bedrocks. Okay, makes sense, right? Now, sometimes these companies have a growth spurt, but I got news for you. Bedrocks, they eventually slow down. After years and years of growth, they become income-based investments. Bedrocks are not something that Bobby Axelrod would invest in. Now let's talk about bellwether stocks. What's a bellwether stock? Okay, well, bellwether stock is a trend-setting stock that's representative of a sector. For example, Apple or Facebook, Amazon, and years ago, GE. GE used to be so widely diversified with so many different subsidiaries. I used to say years ago, you want to buy a mutual fund? Buy GE because they own so many different things. You buy one stock, you basically got a mutual fund. Now, that's not the case anymore. GE is a disaster. But Apple is a good indicator of what? Well, a good indicator of uh, technology. They're a good indicator of online. They're a good indicator of uh, your uh, manufacturing of, of phones and, and uh, desktop computers, laptops, et cetera. Amazon, distribution of manufactured goods, Facebook, social media. Okay, so we've got all these different things that are considered trendsetters and they're bellwether stocks. So what happens, they tend to well, if they lead, the sector leads. If they fall, the sector falls. And sometimes when you have a huge amount of a sector controlled by just a handful of companies, that's when you got to be really careful and paying a lot of attention. Okay, so that's enough of that. Let's go to BIPs. This is one of my favorite topics of talking about BIPs. What's a BIP? B-I-P. BIP or BIPs, B-I-P-S. 
That's an acronym short for basis points. Now, this is something I can tell you without any doubt. Very few people know what we're talking about. And it's something that is used all the time to manipulate investors. Ooh, that wasn't sound good. So what's a BIP? Say, a BIP is one basis point. Now, mathematically, it's 0.0001 or 0.01, depending upon how you want to, again, mathematics. On a percentage point, it's 0.01 or on a numerical, it's 0.0001. Now, that sounds like a really small, tiny, itsy bitsy thing, right? It's one hundredth of one percent. Okay. One hundredth of one percent. Now, here's the thing. People say all the time, and this is a manipulation technique by investors, of, of investors, not by, but of investors. So if you say, well, you know, we've got a yield of uh, 250 basis points. What does that mean? Well, 100 basis points is 1%. 200 would be 2%. 250 would be 2.5%. Okay. What you tend to hear people say is, you know, we're beating the market by 2.5%. That's what they say. They'll use the percentage. Okay. This is a very important thing for all investors to listen to and get a hold of. Okay. Are you listening to this? This is an important thing for you to get a hold of because if you do, it's going to save you a lot of money. You're going to have these guys who are, again, shysters, tell you how well they're doing in percentages based upon, okay, we're beating the market, this, that, or whatever, by a percentage. But their cost, their commission, they're always going to use basis points. Now, when you're insider, you're talking among here in the business, we use BIPs because we're not selling each other. We get that. It's just a thing in your brain. But you guys out there, no, 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 you don't do this. You don't talk. You don't think in terms of basis points. So what they do is they say, listen, uh, our fee is uh, our fee is only 150. Our fee is is very very low. Let me give you an example. It's you know uh, one basis point is one one hundredth of one percent. What they do is they start getting you thinking one one hundredth of one percent, and they oftentimes and I've I've been on these meetings. It just drives me nuts. Well, let me tell you how our, our fee structure is based upon basis points. And a basis point is, because most people don't understand this, it's 1 100th of 1%, very, very small, 0.001. I mean, it's just a fraction. So we're at 150 basis points, but our, our, our performance has been solid. We're about 1.5% above what the S&P, between this month and that month, we've been kicking it. So what did you hear? They use a selective time frame to tell you how well they're doing, getting you to think that the long term, they're kicking tail, but that's not what they told you. They gave you a very specific time frame and gave it as a percentage. We're beating this index by this percentage. Then they told you that a basis point was 1 100th of 1%, and they'll say it many times, seven, eight times to get it in your head so that when you hear 150 basis points, you're hearing not 1.5%, you're hearing it's next to nothing. So in billions, you'll hear them talking periodically about basis points, and you probably have missed it. Most people have. I haven't met. Uh, I do a lot of network, uh, networking events, chamber of commerce events, uh, small group discussions. And when I bring this up, I mean, nobody hears it. But that's how it's done to sell you. And it's in, it's, again, it's in billions. And that's what a basis point's all about. Let's talk about what a blue chip stock is. Real simple, blue chip, B-L-U-E, blue chip stocks are stable, reliable. Markets tend to go down. They tend to do very well. They just, there's your steady eddies. 
Again, one of the things you used to have years ago, you used to say for widows and orphans, you always go to utilities because utilities are regulated by governments. They tend to have strong dividends. Even if the price goes down, they're steady eddy. But blue chips are, your, your, again, they're like your uh, your basket, okay? They're, they're really bedrock stocks. Bottom line is, even when the market goes down, they tend to do very good. Now, what if you're trading in big sums, big, big sums? Those are called block trades. A block trade is usually done privately. It's very large. And generally speaking, the minimum size is 10,000 shares. Okay, so block trade, if you got over 10,000 10, shares, at least $200,000 in value. I'm not going to get into the details of it uh, for a couple different reasons. But if you, in, if you hear the word block trade, that's what they're, they're talking about. Let's also talk about what a bucket shop is. Now, you'll hear Bobby talk periodically about bucket shops. He'll talk it about different people in the industry as a pejorative. And basically, these are firms that they deal in speculation. They're gambling. They're making bets on stocks and commodities rather than doing the research and knowing what's going on. Now, remember, there's the quantitative analysis and there's the qualitative analysis. Those individuals who are more qualitative focused tend to be in bucket shops. They're the speculators, the gamblers. That's not what investing is all about. Investing is about finding as much information as possible out about a company, an industry, or a sector, okay? And then you make a decision based upon quantitative analysis. That's the facts and figures. But there's always going to be that qualitative because there's never a guarantee. Investing is an art and science. Science isn't that tough. Uh, everybody talks about, oh, you know, it's impossible to do this stuff. And BlackRock has sunk billions of dollars into market research and into analytics and artificial intelligence. But as time continues on, all of this big, deep data stuff is becoming easier and easier to get. And I'll be real blunt to you, there's a point of no, there's a certain point to everything. It just doesn't make any difference. Statistically, it's not a big deal. Now, if you're running a race where you, you know, you're number one, you get the gold medal. Yeah, those things make a big deal. But this is not a race where you're going to get a gold medal. This is a race for money, which means at the end of the day, somebody's going to be number one. Somebody's going to be in the end. And you're going to be all around in between. You know who actually does pretty good? It's the guy who's the steady Eddie, popping it one day after another, doing the research. Bucket shops, eh, hell with those people. Now, what's a bull and a bear? Yeah, 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 you know, bull markets up, bear markets down. But where does it come from? Do you have any idea? <laughs> I like doing this when I'm out talking with people, saying, well, where's bull and bear come from? Oh, nobody knows. You see, you know, bull, up market. Bull market, prices tend to be going up, okay? Bull markets tend to be going down. Why, why did they do this? Well, it's real simple. When a bull attacks you, when a bull attacks you, they tend to lower their head and then they flip up with their horns. And that's swinging up to get the victim and throw them up in the air. Oh. When you've got a bear market, the bear tends to stand up above his prey and strikes downward with their paws. Oh. There you go. That's where bull and bear came from. Everybody uses those phrases. Frankly, nobody knows it, but that's exactly how it works. No bull, no horse. That's the way it works. Now let's talk a little bit about something called a burn rate. What's a burn rate? B-U-R-N-R-A-T-E, burn rate. Well, a burn rate is nothing more 
than the amount of money that a company or a division is spending or losing. Now, if you've listened to prior podcasts here on Connecting Dots, you've heard me talk about Uber and how I've said, this is a company that I know they've, they've basically have taken the word taxi and the word taxi now is called an Uber. And everybody calls everything an Uber. Oh, I need an Uber. Well, Lyft is coming. Well, whatever. So if you go to like, for example, the city of Tampa, you used to have yellow cab everywhere. You used to have checker cabs. Nope. Everybody's got an Uber now. People go out. Hey, well, I'm not going to drive. Just get an Uber. I want to go out, have dinner, have a few extra drinks. I probably shouldn't drive, get an Uber. It's, it's just, it's part of the language. You know, nobody says I need a tissue. They tend to say a Kleenex. Okay. So brand names eventually work themselves in and they become, okay, a term that everybody uses. Real simple. Here's the key thing. Burn rate. Man, this whole idea of of you, you got to be profitable. And when you have a company that is constantly losing money and it becomes a publicly traded company and they're still burning money, you got to sit back and go, uh, I don't think this is a good idea. Okay, so with that, I'll be right back. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. It's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold, be different. <laughs> Let's move on and talk a little bit about churning. Now, churning is an illegal practice, and churning is something that is really a problem. It's always been a problem in the financial services industry when it comes to broker-dealers. Same thing with insurance companies, insurance agents. This has been a real problem for years. It's illegally trading and is designed to generate commissions. Whenever you have a buy or sell based upon a commission, there's always the fear that there will be churning. This is an incredibly important concept. You got to get this down, okay? If there's ever a, a trade based upon a commission, there's always a chance of churning. When you have people like us here at Fixed Cost Financial, where all of the trades that we do are based upon window trades where there is no commission-based trading. It's on a, a percentage basis. We don't get paid for that. That's the deal that we negotiated with our broker-dealer. We, we're not associated. We're independent. Where everybody gets treated exactly the same. For more information, just simply go to Fixed Cost Financial. Go to FixedCostFinancial.com. You can go to Fixed Cost Investing or FixedCostInvesting.com. Same thing. Go there. You'll see how we, we talk about it. You can also call us. Feel free to call 212-433-2525. That's 212-433-2525. And I'll be happy to go through with you, schedule a consultation. Again, one of the, one of our folks here will schedule it for you. Be happy to do it. You can go online and schedule. We've got plenty of different ways to get a hold of us. Go online, use the blue intercom button. We'll be happy to get with you. But always remember, never forget, we will not talk business in any way, shape, or form on any social media, not Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all these other things. Nope, don't do that. Those are all designed just for advertising purposes, branding, getting our information out. That's not where we do business under any circumstance. Bottom line is you're your integrity, your security is critical to us. And as a result, when it comes to churning, you got to understand if you're using anyone, I don't care if it's an online broker, I don't care if it's a hug and mugger, I don't care if it's a robo advisor, when they're doing trades based upon commissions, well, you always got a chance that they are churning. 
Let's move on to another item here called cooking the books, which is in a fraudulent accounting practice. And they're tweaking the numbers. Well, we're going to move this over here and that over there and make the company look more profitable than it is so that investors, well, you know, we don't want to pay taxes. We want investors to look good. Lots of companies have done this, and it's been a bane in the industry. Enron, one of the biggest accounting firms years ago, was a company called Arthur Anderson. You may not remember them. They were out of Chicago, and Arthur Anderson went completely kabooey years ago over a lot of uh, nonsense. Now, as a result, what does the government do? The government does the same thing the government always does. The government has a knee-jerk reaction. They freak out and make sure that everybody in the world has to comply with... Sarbanes-Oxley. So you bake his you take everybody, throw them into the bag, and you say, okay, everybody's got to do this. I'm not going to get into the ethics of it. I get it. You know, you want to do something uh, dumber than a sack of uh, poo. These voters out there say, oh, we got to have protection. No, what you really need to do is, is punish these SOBs that are, that are destroying shareholder value. Sarbanes-Oxley destroys shareholder value because it increased the cost of business, more the cost of business for more accountants, more lawyers, more litigation, all that kind of stuff. It just, you have less less dividends. You take CEOs. How about taking a CEO out and stringing them up? How about like uh, get, go back to Spaghetti Westerns with uh, Clint Eastwood? Put them on a horse, get a rope, find a tree, find a limb, uh, give them their last rites, slap the horse on the ass, and let them hang themselves. I mean, these people don't go to jail for this stuff. Oh, they do periodically, but they seem to keep a lot of the money. That's wrong. Oh, the ones that do go to jail are the ones who are the low-hanging fruit. They go after them. I get it because everybody's short-handed. Everybody's short-staffed. But if you made, uh, literally made a real example out of some of these people, <laughs> they probably wouldn't do this stuff. They probably think two or three times really, really long about this. Okay, we already did this once. I'm going to do it again. I need a quick cup of coffee. I'll be right back. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. It's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold. Be different. Okay, let's do this. Currency devaluation, and we're not going to do too many more of these here, and we'll wrap this up. Currency devaluation is the purposeful lowering of value of a country's currency. And this stuff is complex. Don't listen. It really is. Relative to the value of another currency when you have what's called a fixed exchange system. So we enter into an agreement on something based upon a fixed rate. And then all of a sudden, the rates change. Oh boy, if I'm on the wrong side of this, I can get slobbered. I absolutely clobbered. So you might remember there was a scene when Axe met a guy by the name of uh, Everett Wright. And the intention was poaching him from Richard's capital. And, and they went through this whole thing about the Nigerian government was going to devalue currency. It's called the Nira. And so the U.S. dollar, again, they are going to be reporting weaker oil re uh, industry results. It was an amazing scene. I love the whole play out of this because we understood it. What they, were <clears throat> what they were doing is they were looking for a large short and betting against, again, what the Nero was doing. And so what would happen if you waited long enough and the Nigerian government would do it, you, you'd be really, you'd do very, very well. But if you're on the wrong side of it, you got clobbered. Here's the thing. If you, it's beyond the, way beyond the discussion of this, this podcast. If you kind of go into currency devaluation, currency manipulation, most people don't understand what Trump is complaining about with China, how they've done things. I got to tell you, it's a real thing, but nobody goes to jail for it because it's government. 
Cutting bait. What's cutting bait? C-U-T-B-A-I-T. It means you're walking away from an investment. Everybody has to be willing to cut, you know, either fish or cut bait. We've heard that. Fishermen, yeah, come on. Cut, look, fish or cut bait. In other words, shut up or get going on this thing. Cutting bait, I'm done. Here's the problem. Way too many investors get so damn attached to a security. Even when it's losing money, they have hope, hope, hope. Y'all got to listen to this now. This is a big deal. Most of you buy high and sell low. Let me repeat that. Most of you buy high and sell low. I just had a thing came across my desk from Massachusetts Financial Services, shared it with everybody in our firm. Now, we don't use Mass Financial Services. It's a mutual fund company. In fact, the very first mutual fund comes from Massachusetts Financial Services, the Massachusetts Investors Trust going back to the 1920s. They showed the inflow and outflow, okay? Inflow coming in, outflow going out of money into the stock market. And guess what? When the market is going up and hitting its peak, people are putting money in like crazy. When the market's down and it's low, people are pulling out like crazy. Uh, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to buy low and sell high. But the problem is, as Thaler wrote, he got a Nobel Prize for this, something we've been talking about. I've been talking about this for well over 33 years and going back literally 40 years I've been doing this business. As a private individual for seven years before that, I mean, I literally owned mutual funds and had investments back when I was a kid because my mom and dad, when you're 10 years of age, you, you know, when you take people very young and you teach them how to do things, they, they tend to remember for a long time. Here's the thing. Bottom line is, be a contrarian. You've heard me say, if you've been on this podcast at all, you've ever listened, I've said, don't think outside the box. Begin from the concept that the box doesn't even exist. So cutting bait means I got a losing position. I'm out of here. I had a client down in Tampa. Man, they we used to work for Tico. And I said, you got to get out of this thing. They had so much money because they worked for the Tampa Electric Company. Oh, well, and that was a good company for me. And they gave me stock, so I'm going to hang on to it. I had the same thing with a guy who worked for Procter & Gamble. Same thing with, with GE. I've had so many of these people. And, and recently, it's been Facebook and a few other companies won't get into their names. Guys, just because you work there, don't get attached to the company stock. When I said take your profit, oh, well, we're going to have to pay taxes. Great. You pay taxes 20, 30%, and the stock of the company went down 70%. Which one was better to pay? Was it better to pay capital gains tax at 15 or 20% or take a 50% haircut when the company goes completely crapped out and then you decide to sell? That stuff has happened to me on a fairly regular basis. That's why I say, you think you can do it yourself? Yeah, go for it. You've got emotions involved with it. You need an unemotional SOB like, well, us here at Fixed Cost Financial where we're professional, but we're not emotionally engaged. That's the difference between being a fiduciary versus treating somebody like a just a number or having the hug and mug. No, professional understands, but calls it the way it is. And then you have a dead cat. What's a dead cat bounce? Dead, D-E-A-D, -E cat, meow, meow, dead cat bounce, B-O-U-N-C-E. What happens is, and this is something because of my vast experience in the world of estate planning, it happens a lot when people are getting ready to die. I saw this with my father, saw this with my mother, saw this with, with uh, my uh, sister. Uh, again, my father was the last one, but my father was in hospice and, and uh, quite literally, Boy, he, he really perked up, and we had a great conversation an entire day, and then he, uh, he lapsed into his coma, and within uh, 12 hours, and he died. 
okay? They had cancer. Same thing with my mom, same thing with my sister. It just is what it is, okay? Dead cap bounce means it's a brief recovery in the price of stock, and then it's, it's declining or it's a bear market. And then once it bounces up, it goes back down. Now, here's the problem with these things. These things can be really a pain in the rear end because... Man, I had a guy years ago, Kmart. Now, Kmart, Sears, remember the whole big merger? Well, Kmart used to be by itself. Guy loved Kmart. Oh, it's coming back. No, Kmart's dead. No, it's coming back. He insisted upon buying. I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. I lost a client because I said, you're going to have to go somebody else. I'm not doing it. I want no part of that liability. He fired me. Bought Kmart, went right down the drain, lost his ass. Same thing with Sears. I had people do the same thing. I said, don't. This thing is such, there's so much problem. They had some dead cat bounces. Done deal. CEO of Sears, I'll tell you, that guy, Lambert, he, I used to think he was doing a pretty good job. Something's wrong. That bothers me a lot. But there's lots of examples. And what it is, it's always a hope and a prayer. A hope and a prayer ain't going to cut it. Not in our shop. And then we have distressed debt. Oh, what the heck is a distressed debt? I'm going to talk about distressed debt, then I'll talk about uh, an event strategy and then the expense accounts, and then we'll do uh, family offices, which I have a lot of knowledge on, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. So what's distressed debt? Well, it's companies or municipalities that basically have filed for bankruptcy. So what you do is you they're looking to get out. And you might take a shot at acquiring some of that debt because they may be able to get out. This, these are really risky ventures, okay? Distressed entities, they're looking for a turnaround. You could have some huge numbers there. But again, these are, these are a real risk. Now, we're talking about billions. There was a, there was a, a town called uh, Sandicott, as I recall. In billions, there was a town called Sandicott. And what they were doing, they were selling their bonds quite literally for pennies on a dollar. And this was a complex thing that the, the storyline was pretty straight. Somebody wants to build a casino. Somebody wants to have a cut of the action, a whole nine yards. And the, the whole interplay, the political interplay, that's that was on the surface. What was below the surface is what they were talking about were the distressed bonds, how they were going to make money on this thing. Well, eventually the casino license wound up going somebody else. And as a result, the investment becomes totally worthless. So you see with billions, they'll have the headline story, the secondary story, but down at the bottom, now that you start to dig into some of these things, you go, oh my God, this is so cool. Event-driven strategies, real simple. You're taking advantage of securities that are mispriced. The mispricing can be on a really short-term basis. So again, on a short-term basis, this almost like, you know, again, it's just real quick buys and sells. Bottom line is you might have an announcement for corporate earnings. You might have a dividend de declaration, a merger, a bankruptcy notice. For example, and I'm telling you right now, this is not a forecast. This is not a prediction. I'm not giving advice in any way, shape, or form. You got to remember that. But what you see, for example, Apple. Now, we've attended the Apple WWDC Worldwide Developers Conference. Hard to get tickets to that thing. We've gone there. It's one of the things that we do. That's why I know a lot about San Francisco, the Moscone Center. Now, of course, new Apple Conference. We're going to be very busy. That's coming up next Monday. Here's the bottom line. Every time Apple does one of these things, the stock goes down. Oh, the Debbie Downers come out and, oh, Apple did this or they didn't do that. Oh, and all the, then eventually people panic, right? Oh, bad news. Then rational minds sit down and think, you know, let's think about this for a little bit. And then this starts to come up and 
If they got a good deal, things begin to turn around. Now, in billions, you'll hear every once in a while they talk about expense accounts. Real simple. I'm not going to get into the, all the different times they've done these different kinds of things, but here's the thing. You're reimbursing employees for expenses incurred while doing business, right? Let me repeat that. An expense account and a corporate expense account, monies are re used to reimburse employees for expenses while they're conducting business. Here's the problem. Man, when you look at the, it's so hard to get this detail. I mean, they just don't want to report it. This is where the SEC, I mean, somebody that had a massive budget, you know, if you had a Mueller investigation into Trump, into a lot of these CEOs, there'd be a lot of people being uh, led down in chains. But again, because of politics and because of uh, fame and fortune, it's not done. But you got a lot of people who are in the C-level suite. They abuse their, they abuse it. These, they're perks. Perks are not necessities. And it's a real, real problem. It's the king mentality. It all comes from the presidency of the United States and other world leaders. You're like a king. You know, they, they cook for you. They clean you. They do everything. You might remember Eddie Murphy coming to America. My God, he took a, he's in a bathtub getting cleaned up and all these naked gals are just, you know, rubbing and scrubbing and, you know, doing whatever they got to do. Ah, I just, I'm, I'm the king, right? Everything done for me. So he comes to America and it's like he's learning to do things on his own. Well, here's the problem. This king mentality, this I'm the president, everything is all consuming. I don't have time to take care of myself. I need everybody to take care of me. And that's a bunch of crapola. It really is. The bottom line is nobody is that important. And these expense accounts, again, if you pay really careful attention to, well, billions, you'll see periodically they talk about things involving expense accounts. One last thing is talk a little bit about family offices. I could go on for hours about this. A lot of experience in this area. This is nothing more than what's called a private boutique advisory company, okay? Here's the way this thing works. When you have a family office, the advisor manages wealth and the financial affairs uh, for a family or a very limited number of employees. Family offices don't manage money for uh, retail investors, okay? So fixed cost financial is not a family office. It is designed for retail outside investors. When you do that, when you manage for outside investors, well, then you have to file as an investment advisor, et cetera. But when you are a family office, you're exempt from things like Frank Dodd and a lot of the financial reforms. Now, some hedge funds, what they do is they wind down and they get out of the regulatory oversight and they become family offices. A lot of times it's a penalty as a result of unscrupulous trading practices, okay? Man, that's the last thing you want to do because when you do something like that, you are dead in the water uh, in the future to other investors. Now, there's a guy by the name of Steve Birch in the show. It's played by an actor by the name of Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell's a thin guy, kind of tall, dark hair, thin. You might have seen him on Big Bang. Uh, a lot of, he does a lot of TV. Big Bang, a television show, uh, what is it called? Big Bang Theory. Uh, TV show, Las Vegas, The Defenders. I love that TV show. That actually is a show I wish had stuck around. He's been on uh, the movie, I think, Veronica Mars. Uh, recently, he was in a show, uh, Carter, and of course, in Billions, he's been in so far seven episodes. What happened with him, he got in trouble, okay? He was found guilty of insider trading using something called Arcadia Railroad Shares. And his agreement was to convert his investment advisory firm into a family office. So again, you might think, and again, these, these terminologies keep coming up. Now, we've spent, my God, I've almost been on here. I've been on here a long time talking about this. And these are just a part of the, the vernacular that goes on. I'm in FA, family offices. 
Well, I haven't talked about FDA approval and hedge, uh, what hedge funds are, hedge fund managers. We talk about hedge fund compensation, high-frequency trading, insider information, what an IPO, going long, what margin calls are, market corrections, mergers and acquisitions. Got a lot of stuff that we could get into, and I'm going to do that in, in another episode. So with that, what do you say we call it? And um, there's a little thing. What did you say here now? Oh, yeah. Before we do this, always remember, do what you like, do what you're good at, do what you're profitable at and do what you can control. Here at Fixed Cost Financial, listen, always tell, I'm going to tell you straight up, it's different. The way we do it, it's different. We're different. You're different. Break the mold and quit walking in lockstep with all these morons out there. You really need to take big bets on big ideas, and we'll help you do that. But we manage our funds very particularly, okay? We manage money with a very methodical process. And frankly, we think it's better, and it's simple, and it works. Oh, stop talking. We're done. This concludes this episode of Connecting Dots. Thank you for listening. Please visit our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing, at fixedcostinvesting.com. That's fixedcostinvesting.com. We got love that will never need to hide. Love will always rise above. Whatever comes, you'll be just fine If I am yours and you are mine Take my hand and let's fly away To another galaxy Hold me close, I want to feel your love Together we are free Just be with me Just be Reserved. Reproduction prohibited without written authorization.